as we peruse all things Potter. Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Katie. And I'm Audrey. And today we're going to be talking about, I don't know if everybody's favorite Slytherin is like a fair moniker for this character, but maybe one of the best Slytherins in the series? We'll talk about that more later. Professor Horace Slughorn. A.K.A. Old Sluggy. Yeah. Sluggy. Um, before we jump into the episode, um, we are recording this pre-trivia night, but I wanted to just say thank you all for attending. I'm sure it was a great time. I'm sure everybody had a blast. Um, and yeah, that was just like something fun that we like wanted to do to like not only fill our like void in life because we're not allowed to leave our homes, but like help fill everybody's void. Um <laughs> And then additionally, um, hopefully by the time this episode comes out, this will have already like been made live, but we are going to create a Facebook group to maybe like foster some more discussion. Um, we did discuss some ideas to like help, uh, create discussion in the group. And I think one of those, we're going to try our best to maybe like post our pop quiz questions in there before we record. So you can have some of you guys as input in the episode, maybe um, read some of the best answers we get maybe talk about like more of a consensus. Like most people say this, um, to like bring you guys more into the episodes. Cause we would really love for that to happen. Yeah. This is contingent on us writing the pop quiz questions before we get to that point in recording so it's gonna be an adjustment for us but I think it'll be worth it not only do we not have the pop quiz questions written before we like start to record we normally don't have them written more than like 30 seconds before I literally read them out loud in the episode so a little peek behind the scenes for all you guys watching at home um speaking of listener input i wanted to before we start the episode on old sluggy i wanted to read the result of a twitter poll i conducted um as i was doing my notes the other night i was thinking about this interesting man and (laughs) and i asked on twitter writing notes for an upcoming episode and i want to get people's opinions what are your thoughts on slughorn and so 33 percent of people said he's actually a good character 58% said good equals not a Death Eater, and 9% said that he's trash. Oh. So, I guess we can give our consensus later on once we've talked about him. But I also asked um, Larry from Here's Johnny Podcast, because he's the proudest Slytherin that we know, (laughs) um, and often gets mad at us for disparaging Slytherins. I asked him how he feels, and he said, Slughorn is one of the most rounded out characters in the series, which is so impressive since he's only in two books. Basically only in one, too. And I said, so are you proud that he's a Slytherin? And he said, more than, I'm honored. So, Mm. just some stuff to keep in mind. Then also, um, before we start for real... One word to describe old sluggy. What are your thoughts? 
Um, so I'm not going to claim this as my idea. I got this from like reading um, the reading about Slughorn that we'll talk about later. Um, but like elitist mm. is the word I'm going for. Okay. Mine's similar. It's not one word. It's two <laughs> words. <laughs> but it's one phrase, which is social climber. Mm. Because I think that's like his defining character trait. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I got you. I just want to talk about it so badly. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to preface before we start with the fact file. A lot of the information for this episode, since there's not a ton on Slughorn in the book, is from the audiobook series that JK wrote uh, in 2016, I think. And he has a chapter in the the ebook, not audiobook, ebook, the ebook called Short Stories from Hogwarts of Power, Politics, and Pesky poltergeist so we bought those audiobooks to do this and bring you this great content you can also buy them for yourself it's like nine dollars for three audiobooks yeah ebooks sorry (laughs) um something i found very interesting with the whole like slughorn ebook i feel like the mcgonagall ebook was like very widely um I don't read. know, like, known. Yeah. About, yeah. Like, I I never had bought the ebooks before. I'd never read them before. But, like, I knew that whole McGonagall story. I don't know how. Like, maybe it's on, like, the wiki. Or maybe, like, it was also on Pottermore or something. Yeah. But, like, I had never read the Slughorn. Like, all of this was, like, brand new information to me. Yeah. The, the McGonagall and the Lupin ones were on pottermore okay and i know that i read them there i don't know if the like slughorn and there's a trelawney one i don't know if that's also on pottermore or was formerly um but i I feel like maybe just because mcgonagall mcgonagall and lupin are like more talked about characters yeah and we've already done episodes on them so we maybe buy (laughs) but But, i also feel like that information was like on mcgonagall's like wiki but I yeah. don't think this information was on Slughorn. Like, I could be wrong because I did I did just, like, skim it. Yeah. Um, but who knows? All right. So, actually starting the episode now. <laughs> His name is Horace Eugene Flaccus Slughorn. So, in the ebook, J.K. writes that he's named after Quintus Horatius Flaccus, who's better known as Horace, and was one of the greatest Roman poets. And Slughorn, she says, derives from the Gaelic for war cry. I'm not going to try and read the Gaelic. Uh, <laughs> which later gave rise to Slughorn, with the meaning, meaning a battle trumpet. And J.K. loved just the, like, the look of the word and the sound of the word, as well as its meanings and associations. She says that the original Gaelic suggests a hidden ferocity, whereas cup. Whereas the corrupted word seems to allude to the feeler of the Aryan Distinctus, a.k.a. common land slug, um, which works well for such a seemingly sedentary, placid man. Horn also hints at his trumpeting of famous names and illustrious associations. So I kind of liked, I liked her reasoning for that. I feel like it's like not a very obvious etymology. I always just kind of thought like, I don't know, I just thought it fit him, like his personality, but I like the meaning behind it. Nice. So his birthday, we do have the date, but we are lacking a year. So he's got that like McGonagall syndrome going on. Um, his birthday is April 28th, which 
is the day release date. podcast comes out um <laughs> but we like so we don't have the year but like through timelines and maybe McGonagall syndrome will come to bite this one in the butt as well <laughs> um Nobody knows, but it's between 1882 and 1913 because we do know that Slughorn began teaching in 1931. Um, that information ca- comes from the ebook. And so, knowing that um, children or young adults graduate from Hogwarts like around the time that they're 18 or about to turn 18, the latest possible date. Like, if Slughorn began teaching the year after he graduated Hogwarts, that would make him born in 1913. But the earliest possible date, the 1882 date, comes from Dumbledore saying that Horace is younger than him. Like, he's not as old as him. So that comes from, like, Dumbledore's birth year. So, very wide range, but... Yeah. That's that's all we got. (laughs) In the year 2020, he is over 100. He's at least 107 on the date of release for this episode. All right, so his wand is cedar with dragon heartstring, ten and a quarter inches, and fairly flexible. I feel like we haven't talked about wand woods in a while because they, like, have... I don't know. Maybe, like, characters recently haven't had wand woods. I don't know. With the the disappearance of Pottermore fact files, they've been harder to find. Um, So for a cedar wood... Ollivander writes, whenever I meet one who carries a cedar wand, I find strength of character and unusual loyalty. My father, Gervais Ollivander, used, used always to say, so weird way to say it. you will never fool the cedar carrier. And I agree. The cedar wand fits its perfect home where there is pers... I can never say this word. Pers- Persepicity? Pers- Perspicacity. <laughs> Perspicacity. It just means, like, shrewdness and perception. Like, kind of, like, you know, like, you pick up on things. Yeah. Um, I would go further than my father, however, in saying that I have never yet met the owner of a cedar wand who I'm, whom I would care to cross, especially if harm is done to those of whom they are fond. The witch or wizard who is well-matched with cedar carries the potential to be a frightening adversary, which often comes as a shock to those who have thoughtlessly challenged them. I feel like this is, like, a decent fit. I mean, Slughorn's definitely perceptive. Like, his whole thing is that he, like, picks out who's going to be famous. The, like, loyalty, I don't know about that. Well, it kind of covers that, like, Slytherin loyalty that we always talk about. Because, yeah. like, it does, like, specify, like, loyalty to whom they are fond. And, like, that's very much, like, the Slytherin brand of loyalty as opposed to, like, the Hufflepuff brand of loyalty. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I do like the thing at the end with, like them being a frightening adversary because I think we like never really talk about Slughorn being a good wizard but I mean he was dueling Voldemort at the end of the Battle of Hogwarts um and I think he's probably like underrated because maybe because he's a potions master like we don't really talk about like his wand work or anything but I think he's probably like seems like he's a good wizard yeah and then for the core, it's Dragon Heartstring, which we've talked about before. Um, but just a reminder, this is the core that's the easiest to turn to the Dark Arts, um, though it will not incline that way of its own accord. So I think that kind of goes along with, like, Slughorn is not a Dark Wizard, but he kind of, like, walks that line with the whole Horcrux thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a pretty fitting wand. 
Yeah, I like that. I also don't recall another character having the cedar that, like, we've run across yet. I do not remember. Um, also, isn't cedar wood, like, a very, like, soft wood? Am I making that up? I have, I don't know anything about <laughs> okay, never mind. tree woods. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend that I do either. Um, so his blood status is he's a pure blood. His family is actually part of the Sacred 28. So they're very, like, very established pure bloods, very, like, a long history of pure bloods, very prestigious. And that comes into play a little bit later. His Hogwarts house is, of course, Slytherin. Um, so his special abilities as listed, I assume this is straight from the Pottermore fact file that was like originally about him, but it's also in the ebook. Like, it, yeah. um, it's like prefaces his story. So his special abilities are he's a, an accomplished Occlumens, which like, I guess we could have gathered from him, like protecting his memory the way that he does. Um, yeah, but it's really interesting that like both potion professors that we see like are very accomplished like little gillamans and aquamans um he's an expert potioner and he's he has an advanced knowledge of self-transfiguration because of the armchair because of the armchair (laughs) (laughs) which apparently like is his signature move because we see him do it at least twice yeah (laughs) um yeah he does it another time in the ebook yeah and then his hobbies are the slug club Corresponding with famous ex-students, fine wines, and confectionery. And I just want to say that I miss these, like, special abilities and hobbies sections. Just rest in peace, Pottermore. Yeah, because, like, some of it, like, maybe is it new information, but it's, like, I don't know. It's usually kind of funny. Yeah. Um, But for Katie's Trivia Corner today, I know we're bringing it out early, um, but Slughorn's favorite candy is crystallized pineapple. There you go. Yeah. So moving on to the first mention. He's first mentioned, I think. He could have been name dropped before this, but that's a lot of work to go back and like find names. Because <laughs> normally, when we do meet a new character, like to be fair, normally they're name dropped like in the book before we meet them. Um, like I was just listening to um, another Harry Potter podcast, and they talk about like Scrimgeour being name dropped in like Order of the Phoenix, like before he becomes important, like in Half Blood Prince and in. Um, Deathly Hollows and like Sirius mm-hmm. Black is name dropped obviously like in the first book before he come, becomes important. But anyway, your boy Scrimjar. Yeah, Scrimjar. <laughs> His wand is my favorite. Um, so this is the first time we meet Slughorn. It is in Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. The name of the chapter is funnily enough Horace Slughorn. So wow. Yeah. Um, Okay, so, just to preface this scene, so, like, Harry and Dumbledore have, like, um, apparated to his house, and they've walked inside, and they've seen it, like, in the disastrous state that it is. And without warning, Dumbledore swooped, plunging the tip of his wand into the seat of the overstuffed armchair, which yelled, Ouch! Good evening, Horace, said Dumbledore, straightening up again. Harry's jaw dropped. Where a split second before there had been an armchair, there was now crouching an enormously fat, bald old man who was massaging his lower belly and squinting up at Dumbledore with an aggrieved and watery eye. There was no need to stick the wand in that hard, he said, gruffy, clambering to his feet. It hurt. The wand light sparkled on his shiny pate. 
his prominent eyes, his enormous silver walrus-like mustache, and the highly polished buttons on the maroon velvet jacket he was wearing over a pair of lilac silk pajamas. The top of his head barely reached Dumbledore's chin. What gave it away, he grunted as he staggered to his feet, still rubbing his lower belly. He seemed remarkably unabashed for a man who had just been discovered pretending to be an armchair. My dear Horace, said Dumbledore, looking amused. If the Death Eaters really had come, the dark mark would have been set over the house. This is true, Dumbledore. It is true. He doesn't eat blood like he does in the movie. Also, I was going to talk about this later, but I feel like this is a more opportune time. Um, I really, really dislike how they did this scene in the movie. Like, they make it, like, all goofy. Like, one arm changes at a time. And, and, like, I don't really like that. Also, the armchair, like, really bothers me because it sticks out, like, a sore thumb in that house. Because everything is, like, dark and, like, ripped and, like, blood and stuff. And then there's, like, this pristine-looking, like, silk white and light blue armchair that's just like sitting in the middle of the room it's like well that's really freaking obvious i just like really (laughs) don't like how this scene happens in the movie sorry side note okay i feel like this is like one of the first mentions i feel like a lot of the first mentions we do you wouldn't like be able to remember off the top of your head or like if you like said a character name you wouldn't maybe be able to pinpoint that that's first mention but this is like one of the more obvious ones yeah for sure Okay, so on to Slughorn's personality type, Myers-Briggs personality type. I will say, I had some trouble with this. The internet is all over the place. Basically, the only consensus that the internet had was that he's an E, which is an extrovert, which I agreed with. Yeah. So I basically, like, read through pretty much every extrovert personality type. What? (laughs) And I am not... I'm not really confident in my choice, but, you know, it is what it is. I think it's the best fit. I think it doesn't fully capture him, which, like, that's okay. But I think it is the best fit um, out of the 16. And I'm trying to be better about, like, cataloging which character get placed where. So this personality type is actually the same as Fred and George, which I kind of just talked about on a few episodes ago. And... Gilderoy Lockhart, which kind of seems weird. That's why I was like a little bit averse to choosing this personality type because like Lockhart, I feel like makes more sense. But like Fred and George, I didn't really want to associate with Slughorn, but it's fine. So this is the ESFP personality type, which is the entertainer. So I'll do a little bit on that. So entertainers get caught up in the excitement of the moment and want everyone else to feel that way too. No other personality type is as generous with their time and energy as entertainers when it comes to encouraging others, and no other personality type does it with such irresistible style. So I feel like this kind of captured the, like, getting caught up in the excitement of the moment. Like, I feel like Slughorn, like, opening the bottle of wine with Harry and Ron and attending Aragog's funeral and getting smashed with um, (laughs) Hagrid. And just, like, getting caught up in the moment and, like, very, like, likes to have a good time, you know? Maybe it just associates him with alcohol. (laughs) And he likes when other people are having a good time, too. So, like, I mean, he throws all these parties. And part of that is, like, him being a social climber. But I also think is, like, he likes to, like, entertain people, as the name suggests. Yeah. Um, And the encouraging others part is, like, 
you can kind of force that because like he encourages others if he sees that they have potential. And I'll talk a little bit about that more in depth in like my Slughorn as a teacher section because I kind of talk about maybe the pros of that, which mm. we generally like, we normally only like think of it as like a con. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. So, we'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> So entertainers love the spotlight and all the world's a stage. Many famous people with the entertainer personality type are indeed actors, but they love putting on a show for their friends too, chatting with a unique and earthy wit, soaking up attention and making every, every outing feel a bit like a party. Utterly social, entertainers enjoy the simplest things and there's no greater joy for them than just having fun with a good group of friends. So he doesn't necessarily love the spotlight, but he loves being like spotlight adjacent. <laughs> and... I definitely think, like, he's a pretty witty person and, like, he likes stimulating conversation. Um, And, like, he likes people to challenge him and he likes to challenge people, like, kind of intellectually. And so I think it's, like, a dinner... Like, I associate him with, like, the dinner party, like, esque, like, thing. You know, like, an elite dinner party. And (laughs) (laughs) He just likes to be surrounded by people, I feel like. Especially since, like, kind of what we know from him on the ebook is, like... It seems like he's always been kind of alone. I mean, like, he, I think we learned he was an only child and, like, he never married. And I think he just, like, likes to have this large circle of people to, like, surround himself with. So, though it may not always seem like it, entertainers know that it's not all about them. They're observant and very sensitive to others' emotions. People with this personality type are often the first to help someone talk out a challenging problem, happily providing emotional support and practical advice. However, if the problem is about them, entertainers are more likely to avoid a conflict altogether than to address it head on. They usually love a little drama and passion, but not so much when they are the focus of the criticisms it can bring. And I think this portion just really rang true with like the running away from his own problems with like the horcrux memory um he like does everything he can to avoid the truth and like avoid confronting that uh complex analysis repetitive tasks and matching statistics to real consequences are not easy activities for entertainers they'd rather rely on luck or opportunity or simply ask to help them from their ask for help from their extensive circle of friends, which that's like spot on Slughorn, like using, or like not, not necessarily using, but kind of like calling on favors from all of like the people in high places that he's um, formed relationships with over the years. And then for strengths, we have bold, original aesthetics and showmanship, practical, observant, and excellent people skills. I think... Aesthetics and showmanship could, like, kind of like the way he hid, like, the, yeah. the first mention you just read. Um, observant, I think we talked about that a little bit. Like, he's very, um, pays attention to people and kind of picks up on um, potential. And then, like, excellent people skills. I mean, his whole character is, like, around being, like, social and kind of, like, charming and yeah. forming connections. And weaknesses, sensitive, conflict-averse, easily bored, poor long-term planners, and unfocused. Sensitive and conflict-averse, I think, definitely come into play with the whole memory, the Horcrux memory. And then easily bored, I was kind of thinking, like, he gets bored with, he's, like, bored with uninteresting people, like, people Mm -hmm. that he doesn't see as interesting. Yeah, I think, like, Slughorn is this, like, great amazingly written character 
where he's so yeah. like like dynamic isn't the right word but like it kind of is like because you have like flat and dynamic characters and he's definitely a dynamic character and like he's got many sides to him and like I think that at first glance you can see him as this very like negative character and I think the movies mostly only portray this like negative part about him like I feel like the impression I get from the movies is that he's just kind of this like bumbling old fool that like cares too much about like what other people think about him whereas like maybe maybe not like maybe you don't even really get to see more of this in the book but just like the more that you think about it like I think one of the biggest like quote-unquote redeeming things about him is that like he's not really prejudiced like he has his own sort of prejudice like he like favors like like more successful people or people who have the potential to be more successful but like he doesn't care like what those people are like Lily yeah. was a muggle born and like like he said like she was one of his favorite like students of all time you know like he he's not like I don't like I don't know it's like this weird dynamic he's elitist but it's like <sighs> it's like his own brain of elitism like he likes to surround himself with successful people he doesn't care like what they are or who they are He's, it's kind of like a meritocracy for him, mm. right? Like, he is elitist, but in the sense that, like, you have to earn his respect or, like, his attention. And he's not going to make... He's not prejudiced because he's not making, like, arbitrary... Um, I Like, arbitrary decisions of whether he likes you or he doesn't like you based on, like, your your blood status or... Um, I guess that, that like that's the major thing in the wizarding world but like you would think yeah. like that kind of translates to like race and stuff like that well it's kind of like you can see that in like how his like slug club choices evolve over the half-blood prince like at first it's like kind of more people who have like this background or this family or this history of being like well-known wizards like marcus belby mm-hmm. but after he kind of like learns about people and like has taught them like he adds Ginny to the slug club like hermione you know like those kind of things like he like his first initial slug club is not just what he sticks with because they have like the richest families the most successful families like he corrects based on like actual skill and actual potential and he also like from the start which i think this is like a little thing that you don't really pick up on but from the start like he doesn't fuck around with death eaters Mm -hmm. and i think i kind of forgot about that but like when i was like going back and reading about him um there's like Something that Blaze Zavini says to Malfoy on the Hogwarts Express is, like, when Slughorn was inviting Blaze, there was another Theodore Knott, right? Yeah, maybe. Who, his father was a Death Eater, but was in Slug Club. And, like, Slughorn says that, like, he's not going to get invited because, like, his father's a Death Eater. Yeah, and so, I mean, like, like that's Malfoy doesn't, doesn't get invited. Yeah, that's why he doesn't invite Malfoy, which, like... If you if he were just to base it on like family prestige, like Malfoy would have been like one of the first people like yeah. invited to the slug club. So it's kind of like the more I talk about it and like going through the notes, like I think I like Slughorn a lot more because like I've yeah. thought about it more. And like especially when I go through my like him as a teacher section, I think that like really like redeemed him a lot in like my own eyes. Yeah, we'll talk about that when we get to that, because I'm, because we were deciding who was going to do what section, yeah. and when I was looking at your notes, it was, like, very different than what I would have put in that section, so. Yeah, um, so this, this next section, or 
few sections is going to be going through the ebook. Um, so this is just like literally from the moment of birth to like the Battle of Hogwarts, his life timeline, his life story. So I'm going to start out talking about his childhood. So like as I mentioned before, he was born into like a very old, prestigious, very wealthy wizarding family. Um, like I mentioned, they were part of the Sacred 28 um, and his parents were very doting, very like loving to him. And his father raised him to be he gets a lot of like his elitism I think from the way he was raised like his father was a part of the ministry and like taught him to value important people and to like use them to his advantage um so like he taught him to like make friends and make connections with the quote-unquote white right sort of people but um his father kind of always had this connotation of like purebloods are the quote-unquote right sort of people but his family was never like militant like they were never death eaters they never like actively like campaign for pure pureblood superiority I think it just comes with kind of like having that prestige they like saw themselves as better than everybody else because like they are a part of the sacred 28 that like that was just like kind of part of their everyday life like their thought mm. process their beliefs that they were just better so purebloods are better um but they like i said they were never like militant or very loud about it it was just kind of this like we're better and we know it kind of thing um and he was sorted into slytherin very quickly by the sorting hat like it didn't take very long like almost instantaneously um and he was a good student and he did make connections and make friends with talented people so he did listen to his father in a sense that he did kind of surround himself by talented potentially successful people but he didn't limit himself to just purebloods like he kind of made his own form of elitism um like we mentioned a little bit earlier um people who had potential to become successful is who he surrounded himself with not people who came from already successful families or people who were like purebloods but we do still see him like he's a notorious name dropper and this even (laughs) this even was a thing when he was in school so like I mentioned before his father was like pretty high up I want to say and what department was it anyways his does it say I think it does it did say I'll, um, I'll check you keep talking okay so his father was I think he was ahead of a department so like he was very high up in the dep- in um the ministry of magic and so his father was like quote-unquote very good friends with the minister and so while he was in school slughorn would like name drop the minister's christian name I really liked that like wording in the ebook which is just the first name of the minister to kind of like prove that like oh he's on a first name basis with the minister for magic like he must be important like kind of thing yeah so it says his father was a high-ranking ministry official in the department of international magical cooperation there you go so yeah all right so um after hogwarts um it was clear i think either like to him or to others that he was not really cut out for politics he liked to have high achieving friends but he didn't strive to emulate them he just wanted to be like near them adjacent to them um so despite his parents wanting him to work at the ministry kind of follow in his father's footsteps he knew that he enjoyed comfort and he accepted a job of potions master at hogwarts it's not clear if this is like immediately after or like he does something else for a few years 
And it says that he did this due to his, quote, great flair for teaching and deep fondness for the school. And pretty soon he was promoted to head of Slytherin House. And it says kind of that during this time, um, he, quote, made far too great a distinction between those students whom, whom he found amusing and promising and those in, in whom he saw no flicker of future greatness. So this is kind of listed as one of his weaknesses, what we've been talking about, this like brand of elitism. And he started the Slug Club, which was an out-of-hours dining and social club for his favorite students. And he had an eye for talent. So over fifty a 50-year period, he picked members of the slug, slug Club that went on to have dazzling careers in Quidditch, politics, business, and journalism. And so I just wanted to kind of list the known members of the Slug Club. So the ones who actually made it into being in the Slug Club in Half-Blood Prince, so in Harry's time, were Harry, Cormac McLaggen, um, who kind of got in because of his uncle Tiberius, who had been a Slug Club member, and Blaise Zabini, whose mom was beautiful and <laughs> had been widowed seven times by rich wizards. So that one I'm not really sure on the, the merit of Blaze getting in. Yeah. Blaze was just like very rich because his mother like kept marrying old rich wizards and then like yeah, get inheriting their money. Their money. I would love to have a story about her like yeah. oh my god she's really so fascinating like I think obviously it's implied that like she's murdering these old men or at least yeah. like waiting for them to die kind of thing um right but yeah that's oh god I, I love that so also fun fact about our podcast is that when we were trying to come up with names um for the podcast do you remember this we were one of our like subtitles we were gonna do just characters and one of our subtitles was gonna be like from Abbott to Zabini like oh a to yeah Z. yeah yeah. Um, <laughs> so Ginny Weasley also made it into the Slug Club. She originally attracted Slughorn's attention because she uh, performed a particularly good bat bogey hex on Zachariah Smith, was it? Something like that. I think, I it, think was, it was Zachariah Smith. Was it on the train when he sees it? It was, was on the train. Because okay. she gets invited to the first meeting on the oh, train. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Melinda Bobbin, whose family owned a chain of apothecaries, and Hermione Granger, of course, gets added later, um, because she's the brightest witch of her age. Oh, side note, speaking of Hermione and speaking of the ebooks, um, I just would like to also point out the fact that listed in this ebook that came out in 2016, you said, when did Kershaw come out? I think it might have also been 2016. Anyway, it was around the same time, and Hermione is not listed on the list of ministers for magic, and Kingsley is, what is it, like 1998 or 97 to present still, so just a little, I know we've talked about that before, but. The text for um, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is copyrighted in 2016. I don't know when it's set to take place. It's set to take place 19 years later, which would be 2017. So. (laughs) 
I'm not disagreeing with you, but. Well, I mean, we don't, like, this, the ebooks don't have, like, a set time that it takes place or anything. Like, even if it had come out in 2016, she could have very well, like, said Hermione Granger 2017 to blah, blah, blah. And if she was already Minister for Magic in 2017, like, she could have been elected in, like, 2015. You know what I mean? Like, that might not have been her. Sorry. Anyways. (laughs) Curtailed, not canon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay also <laughs> moving back to slug club so these are kind of a list of potential slug club members in the past some of these we know well there are people that are listed as slughorn's favorites so we don't really know if they were like actually in the slug club but they probably were lily evans of course um harry's mom because she was also a very promising young witch dirk cresswell who is now the head of the goblin liaison office barnabas cuff who's the editor of the Daily Prophet, Ambrosius Flume, who owns Honeydukes. You meet him kind in Hogwarts like, Mystery. I just met him. Oh, fun. <laughs> My uh, quarantine Hogwarts Mystery playthrough. <laughs> the thing I just did before we started recording was duel my nemesis for a spot in the Frog Choir. Who's your nemesis? Marula. Oh, okay. She's like the Slytherin. Yeah. Is she your nemesis? Yeah, I think she's everybody's. I wonder if she's your nemesis if you're a Slytherin. Maybe she's just in a different house. Mm. Okay. <laughs> and then Cicerone Harkis, which I don't think we know. I don't know. I don't know what who that is. <laughs> Gwenag Jones, who is the captain of the Hollyhead Harpies. Marcus Bel- Belby's uncle, Democles, who invented the Wolfsbane potion. Cormac McLagan's uncle Tiberius, Lucius Malfoy, and Theodore Knott's father, who both fell out of favor because they became Death Eaters. Eldred Warple, who is the author of Blood Brothers, My Life Among the Vampires, Amongst the Vampires. And of course, our boy, Tom, Tom, Tom Riddle. It's a very nice segue into my section, actually. <laughs> um. I think I moved to, to the bottom of the list because I, I <laughs> There you go. Um, So the next section is about his relationship with Tom Riddle while he was at school. So Tom Riddle, like Audrey just mentioned, was one of his favorite students while he was teaching at Hogwarts. Um, Tom Riddle um, was able to use his charms to kind of like get in favor with Slughorn and use him to get what he needed. Ergo, information about Horcruxes. So this is when Tom Riddle tricks him or trick is not like really the right word he charms him into telling Mm -hmm. him information about horcruxes and i think that like something that slughorn i don't know if he ever really knew this and like it kind of gets brought up um later on as well but i think slughorn operated under the assumption that like Voldemort would not have been able to make horcruxes without him when that is in fact false. We do know at the time that Tom Riddle approaches Slughorn about the information about horcruxes, he already knows how to make one. The only information, yeah, the only information he actually gains from Slughorn is if he can make more than one. Um, because that's never specified. Like at this point, he'd already like read about them in the books and like knows how to make them. Um, Had he, he just didn't know whether one? he could make more than one. I, I, because he already had 
the ring. The timeline of him, of him like creating the diary is very like up in the air. We don't have an exact date on that. Like he had already killed Myrtle at this point. I so say. does he approach Slughorn in his seventh year or his sixth year? Because I think he kills Myrtle at the end of his sixth year. But it's never clear. I always just assumed that it was Voldemort's sixth year because of the parallel with this all the happening in Harry's. I don't know. I'm gonna just check the ebook. I feel like the ebook said something. Well, Audrey checks that. I'm gonna just kind of continue. <laughs> yeah, keep this. going. Um, so at this point, um, the ebook does say that it could probably be guessed that Dumbledore had shared his reservations about Tom Riddle with Slughorn. Um, so at this time, Slughorn is basically like actively ignoring Dumbledore's fears and is like relying on his own judgment. And obviously, like he it proves that maybe his judgment isn't the best. But maybe he should have listened to Dumbledore. Oh. Oh, okay. Never mind. You're right. It says, This guilt was misplaced as Riddle already knew how to make a horcrux and had feigned innocence in order to find out what might happen if a wizard made more than one. So it doesn't say. Yeah. If he has already made one or he already knows how to make one. I think it might be... I think this might happen in his in Tom's sixth year, so it might be, like, as he's kind of gearing up to... Yeah. Um, to do it. Yeah. But, so, like I said, the guilt that Slughorn feels is, like, mostly misplaced because, yeah. like, for, like, the rest of his life, he operates under the assumption that, like, it is his fault that, like, Voldemort basically, like, came to power. Um... But yeah, moving on. So Slughorn did actually start to sour on Riddle when he found out that Riddle turned down the ministry job that Slughorn had like worked to get him. Um, and he kind of just like vanished, didn't become anybody like of note, cut off all communication with Slughorn. And that's kind of like the ultimate like diss in Slughorn's <laughs> mind. Like, no, no, no. Like, I helped you. I, like, showed you favor. I gave you all these connections. Like, in return, all you have to do is, like, keep in contact with me, you know? And, like, like, go be someone. Yeah, know? and, like, go be someone and, like, drop my name maybe every once in a while. And, like, I get to drop your name, you know? But, like, Voldemort never gave him the chance to do that until later. And, obviously, it becomes important. Um, but... Yeah. So, in the, at this point, when he starts to sour on Riddle, like, Riddle, he also starts to, like, kind of contemplate his relationship with Riddle, and he starts to get a little bit worried that, like, Riddle's affection for him, like, might have had an ulterior motive, and he starts to, like, feel guilty about the information he gave him, but again, at this point, like, Riddle has not, like, become Voldemort, at least, like, in the public eye. But when he does start to, like, when Voldemort starts to, like, make moves, Slughorn actually doesn't immediately recognize that it's Tom Riddle. Um, at this point, like, his, like, physical features had kind of already started to change. Um, Slughorn was never privy to, like, the Lord Voldemort or the Voldemort nickname that they used for him at school. Like, he never knew about that. So he was kind of, like, in the dark for a little bit. But then when he found out that, like, it was Tom Riddle... When Tom Riddle came back to ask Dumbledore for a job a second time, Slughorn actually, like, hid in his office in the dungeons and, like, basically, like, was praying that Tom would never, like, wouldn't come down and try and see him um, and, like, seek him out because he was terrified of him. 
And then at this point, he just, like, starts to feel more and more guilty that he basically, like, started to, like, become ill is what it says in the ebook. Um, and at this point, Dumbledore kind of noticed and, like, figured that something was up. Like, he had, I feel like he had already been, like, sus about his relationship with Tom Riddle. Like, something might have been up there. Um, and he starts to, like, become, like, exceptionally kind to Slughorn at this time to either like knowing Dumbledore it could have either been to just like be a kind person but also like to endear himself to Slughorn even more to try and like maybe figure out what Slughorn may or may not have told Tom Riddle because we do know that he is a little bit of a manipulator Dumbledore So, during his first rise to power, Voldemort never tried to take over Hogwarts, so this is why Slughorn stayed there. Like, he's all about, like, finding the safest place for him to be and just, like, camping out there. So, he stayed at Hogwarts throughout the first rise to power because, like, Dumbledore was there and it was safe and that was probably the safest place to be. Um, and when Voldemort eventually fell, like, Slughorn felt like this whole, like, weight was lifted off his shoulders because he's like, oh my god, thank god. Like, he must not have actually been successful in making a Horcrux or else he could not have been defeated. So, he, like, starts to feel, like, a little bit better. Like, his guilt goes away, but he did resign and because he wanted to, like, completely move on from that part of his life entirely. He wanted to forget about it all, forget about Tom Riddle, forget about Voldemort, forget about the Horcrux conversation, and just move on with his life. Because it had, like, plagued him for so long. Yeah. So, in his first retirement, um, he initially just returned home to his late parents' house and took up residence there. And for nearly a decade, he enjoyed his retirement, Um, He was drinking and seeing his former slug club members, hosting reunions, you know, just living his best life. And then about a decade into his retirement, through his kind of networks, he found out that Voldemort was still alive in a disembodied form. So this would, he retired in 81, this would be like around 91, early 90s, um, when Harry is, when the series starts, Harry's going to Hogwarts, and then like, we have the Sorcerer's Stone. Um, And this was Slughorn's greatest fear come true. So now he was so frightened and he questioned if he had made the right decision um, about retiring because Voldemort had previously feared to invade Hogwarts. And he figured that like if he had this information, Dumbledore also was probably like kind of in the know on things. So he was kind of like freaking out thinking maybe I never should have left Hogwarts. That would maybe be the safest place for me to be. Yeah, so kind of moving on from that, specifically with his hiding post-Voldemort returning. So he had been following along with the Triwizard Tournament in the papers, like, very closely. Um, And so when he heard about, like, Cedric dying and the story that Harry and Dumbledore were, like, proposing as being the, like, truth, he, like, immediately believed them. He, like, because of this like information that he was privy to before and kind of like his already his inclination on like him making horcruxes already he immediately knew that Voldemort had come back he immediately believed Dumbledore and Harry so three nights after Cedric's death he actually actually showed up to his place of residence he actually liked the Death Eater um Slughorn was smart enough and like turned himself into an armchair again his (laughs) signature move um yeah and so like he this is kind of my question I've always had about Slughorn is like why is he so convinced that the Death Eaters want to recruit him to his side like why does he think he's that important so I think it mentions this somewhere in the ebook I don't know if it's later 
but I think this and I had always had that question but this like really cleared it up for me is like he says that the Death Eaters want to recruit him right because like he was their Slytherin head of house and stuff but the other possibility is that Voldemort's just trying to kill him off yeah because he knows about the Horcruxes yeah and like I bring that up later because like towards the end like Slughorn like starts to contemplate like well maybe that's the reason um but like he's so convinced that they're just trying to recruit him and like I don't know like we know that he's a great wizard like we know that like he has connections um but like I I don't know that had always like confused me yeah and like I think maybe maybe, sorry go ahead he would have been a good person for them to like help take over the ministry and stuff like that you know yeah like that's kind of where my thinking was going so like maybe we'll have a conversation about like what we think it was like once the story's once this story's over because like we talk i do talk about it later and like when he starts to consider that maybe he is trying to be murdered but anyways he actually shows up to his house um and like he hides as an armchair and like evades that whole interaction so he's convinced that he actually showed up there to recruit him but, like, we never see that actually happen because, like, they never interact because he's an armchair. So, as soon as Yaxley leaves, Slughorn packs up, like, his essentials and is on the run from that day forward. Which is, like, I've never really considered how long he was on the run, but it was, like, two years. Was, or, I guess, like, a year and a half, maybe. Because yeah. it was the yeah. end of four to the It was, like, summer six. to summer. Yeah. Um, so that's really interesting and at this point he moves from like muggle dwelling to muggle dwelling he never stays with friends because he's afraid that like they'll betray him i like that he doesn't stay with friends not because he doesn't want to get them involved and like possibly like get them (laughs) killed but like he just doesn't want his friends to like betray him um thought that was interesting but at this point is when he does consider to think that like maybe Voldemort is like trying to kill him because he does have that information like he does know that Voldemort asked about horcruxes so he knows that like Voldemort at least had a plan to make horcruxes and like obviously Voldemort doesn't want people to to know that he has horcruxes because then like go on the hunt for them as the trio does and Deathly Hallows and like have the ability to kill him so I don't I don't know like I could really see it going either way because I think that Voldemort slash Tom Riddle is arrogant enough to think that he could get like Slughorn back on his side and like use him mm. you know that he could like charm him again basically and like recruit him to his side something I also like really was always confused about is like does Slughorn really think the Death Eaters care that much about him that he has to move every week like does he really <laughs> think that like somebody's tracking him like that closely like I guess better safe yeah. than sorry but like that seems very excessive to me I think it's not excessive if Voldemort is trying to kill him yeah uh, and that's kind of I think where I come down on this debate because yeah I think Slughorn I think Voldemort would be cocky enough to think he could convince Slughorn to, like, help him and stuff. And I totally think that, like, that would be beneficial to Voldemort. But I think that is more like a first Wizarding War Voldemort. And I think Mm -hmm. second Wizarding War Voldemort, he's not going to go out of his way to work really hard to, like, gain favor with people. I think he's, like, more ruthless. And I think he would just be like, okay, well, if you're not with me, then you're against me. And, like, I don't... I don't need to convince you to be with me. Like, you know? 
Yeah. But I think I could also make the argument that, like, if Voldemort just wanted to kill him, I think it would have happened. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. Yeah, like, he would have gone and done it himself. I think yeah. he probably didn't see it as, like, top priority. That Yeah, that's all too He true. probably just, like, sent Yaxley to track him and was like, if you get a chance to kill him, kill him. But, like, Yaxley's apparently incompetent. Yeah. And then, like, once he goes back to Hogwarts, he's like, well, I don't have a chance now. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I feel like that was always, like, so weird to me. Like, number one, why is he so convinced that, like, the that Voldemort's trying to recruit him? And, like, why is he so convinced that, like some like he needs to be on the run like on a weekly basis for like a year and a half i guess it is it a year and a half or is it like actually two years because it's like no, summer it's, of four it's less than that well because it's, Cause summer, it's four summer, and after summer after four five and then summer after five i guess summer after five is six yeah you're right so it's like a year so then, I guess, his return to Hogwarts and his later teaching career. So, Dumbledore finally found Slughorn in the village of Budley Babberton in the summer of 96. And then Dumbledore kind of, we see this the opening of Half-Blood Prince. Dumbledore brings Harry as a bait. And it says, describes Harry as, quote, the most famous student Hogwarts had ever seen. He was also the son of one of Slughorn's all-time favorite students, Lily Evans. So he's like the perfect bait. Um, Slughorn thought that Dumbledore might have an ulterior motive. And he was like a little bit wary of this. He was pretty sure that Dumbledore wanted the Horcrux memory. So he created a fake memory of the Night Riddle, asked him about Horcruxes, And since he was so drawn by the idea of a safe place and of Harry, he decided to accept Dumbledore, like resolving himself to not give up that memory. And then when he got back to Hogwarts, as we see in Half-Blood Prince, he reinstituted the Slug Club and he did his best to collect Harry. And then we see that Harry succeeds in getting the memory from Slughorn using Slughorn's own potion that he created, the Felix, or brewed, the Felix Felicis. Yes, so him at Hogwarts under the Death Eater rule is, like, we don't really know much about it. Um, basically, all the ebook says is that at this point, Voldemort really didn't care what happened to Slughorn. At this point, like, the best thing that Slughorn could do for Voldemort is just, like, teach the purebloods and the halfbloods at Hogwarts potions. Um... But he was he never participated in the violent punishments that the Caros like had or told the teachers to practice. Um, he never did that. And basically this year at Hogwarts he just did his best to like lay low and not like cause any trouble for himself while also trying his best to like and doing what he could to protect the students. Um, I don't think this ever like he like I, I don't know if he tech I don't know. Like, this is such a hard situation because it's, like, obviously you want to, like, defy Voldemort and the Death Eaters to protect the students. But, like, at that point, it's, like, are you just hurting yourself more by, like, outwardly disobeying and, like, being combative towards the Death Eaters? Because then they'll probably torture you and still torture students. So it's kind of, like, what is the point? Like, he kind of just did his best to, like, not carry out the punishments and probably do, like, little things here and there to try and help protect the students, which I don't... I don't know. I feel weird saying that, like, that's the best course of action because, like, obviously yeah. you want to do more, but, like, what would actually be the benefit of doing more, you know? Yeah, I think there's really no 
blame there because like that's what McGonagall did. That's what we presume like Flitwick and Sprout did. Yeah. Um and like when there was the call to action, like they were all there. You yeah. know? Yeah. So coming to that, we have the Battle of Hogwarts. And JK writes in this section, Slughorn's behavior during the most dangerous night of his life reveals the worth of the man. So originally it seems like he had kind of just escaped the battle and run off because um, he led the Slytherins out of the castle. But once he got to Hogsmeade, he mobilized the vi- villagers and returned with Charlie Weasley um, as like reinforcements. And I think the battle had already kind of started and they came like at a critical point. So then we see him dueling Voldemort in the Great Hall alongside McGonagall and Kingsley before Harry's final duel with Voldemort. And I always kind of thought this was interesting because like McGonagall and Kingsley, it makes so much sense that they're two of the people dueling Voldemort. But I don't know, the last one like being Slughorn. I wonder if it's interesting. I wonder if it's kind of like this moment of like full complete redemption for Slughorn. Yeah. And like I wonder if he like even sought out Voldemort because like he'd spent his whole life like running away from him. And I wonder if it was this moment of like no, like I like at this point he still feels like really guilty about the Horcrux and he's like, no, like I need to like answer to the call to action and like do my part. Yeah. Like that's like kind of my head canon. Like I think that he like sought out Voldemort to like right his wrongs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and then um when everyone learned of his bravery at the Battle of Hogwarts afterwards, his actions in Regulus Blacks, who I think like Harry and the trio helped popularize, um, quote, removed much of the stigma that had been attached to the Slytherin House for hundreds of years past. And I will talk about that more in a couple sections coming up because I have a lot to say on that. Um, and he permanently retired from Hogwarts. It's not clear if that's like immediately after and but like soon after the battle of hogwarts and his portrait has a place of honor in the slytherin common room i really like that yeah it's kind of like a nice little ending yeah um sorry this is just something that came up while we were talking about that why do you think that voldemort didn't replace all the teachers at hogwarts like obviously he knew that mcgonagall was like part of the resistance against him and like was close with Dumbledore and like Flitwick and like Sprout too like I wonder why he didn't just go ahead and be like we're cleaning the house I'm killing all of these people they pose like the greatest threats to me like they're some of the best wizards in the world you know yeah so I have a couple thoughts on that I think a Voldemort's main reason for wanting Hogwarts was Harry and, like, once he got rid of Dumbledore, he thought, I think he, like, didn't really see anybody else as threats, like, any individual person as a threat. And, like, I think Hogwarts to him was a means to, like, get Harry, or at least, like, get Harry on the run. Um, I also think that when you, you can see that Hogwarts wasn't super important to him based on the people he placed there. So, like, yes, Snape is there, obviously, and Snape is, like, one of his number one guys, but... Snape also it like makes sense for him to be there because he had like been there there all along but like the Caros like they are nowhere near Voldemort's best um best like weapons best death eaters yeah and then also 
like he wanted to transform i think he had plans for hogwarts in the future right like he talked about like there won't be any houses everyone will be slytherin yeah. and i think that he still valued those professors as like teaching the next generation like i think he still really believed in like bettering like teaching students and like bettering magic and advancing the wizarding world so like i think he, he simultaneously didn't see them as threats because he thought he could completely control them because Dumbledore was gone and also saw them as like uh, like if he could force them to teach he like recognized their like knowledge yeah I can see that his I think it's also just he just it's arrogant he underestimated everyone you know his arrogance is always his downfall so yeah and his inability to love (laughs) I feel sorry for you (laughs) I pity you. I pity you. Um, oh my gosh, I meant to do this earlier, but like you didn't give me an opportunity to interrupt you. Um, but like I, this is one of my favorite parts of Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. Like the whole like Harry taking Felix Felicis and like the Aragog funeral. It's so funny. Um, but like when Slughorn is like eulogizing Aragog, he's like Aragog, king of the Arachnids. <laughs> Um, it's so funny. His body will decay, but his spirit lingers on. <laughs> decay. <laughs> like, the, just, like, the cadence of his voice to me is, like, so funny in that scene. It's and so, so funny. So fun and to, like, mimic. Dan. Dan. Except the princess. <laughs> uh, such a good scene. Like, actually a really, like, I don't know. I have such mixed feelings about Hapled Prince as a movie because I love it. It's so funny. It's so funny. But, like, it's so bad. (laughs) Like, the burrow. Just, like, so many things things about that movie is, like, Ginny tying Harry's shoelaces. Like, the Ginny and Harry just, like, relationship. The kiss in the room of requirement. Oh, my God. Just, like, so bad. But, like, it's such a funny movie. But it's so funny. Um, Yeah. Anyways. So, next I'm going to go through, like, the Slughorn as a teacher section. I don't have many notes written on this, but I think it's just, like, interesting notes. So, Slughorn was actually, like, a competent teacher. Um, I think he employs, like, very good, like, teaching methods. Um, Like, he uses, like, a reward system, like, making games kind of incorporating that into class. Like, that's always, like, a fun motivator. You know, like, playing Kahoot in class or playing like Jeopardy is always so fun um (laughs) and like motivate you to like learn more and study more I think it's like a very useful teaching tool and Slughorn does employ that with the whole like I'll give you Felix Felicis or um and kind of like making class more like fun and interactive I think is always a good thing if you can do that as much as possible and I do believe that he cared for students if only, like, for his own benefit, you know? Like, he really did all he could to, like, help certain students succeed, at least. Like, he would give them mm-hmm. the connections. He would help them succeed. Like, he would stay in touch with them. Like, do you need anything else? Like, I'm here to help you kind of thing. And I think that's, like, a very admi- admirable trait as a teacher. Because, yes, you can have students in class and you can teach them. But, like, if you're not, like, preparing them and helping them enter the real world, especially if he's, like, the equivalent of basically, like, 
a college professor at this point Mm. like not even just like a high school or like middle school like he's preparing them for the real world and like trying to set them up to like get a job at this point basically because they're a year out from graduation I think that's like a very important thing that like teachers should do and I think that like kind of in the real world a way to do this is like bringing in guest speakers and like giving students the opportunity to like converse with people out in the field and like get their contact information and just like giving them these connections and I think that Slughorn does a very good job of that. Like I mentioned before, he gets Voldemort like a job offer at the ministry post-graduation. Granted, like he does do this like pretty selectively, but he just doesn't like to waste time. Like he's not going to help like <laughs> some kid who has no, like, and maybe like, maybe that's unfair. Cause like obviously Neville and Ron do end up having great potential and great careers. Um, and he doesn't see any potential in them. But I think that, like, I mean, he does a lot for the students he likes, at least. Yeah. Um, I, and I do think that, like, all in all, he's a better teacher than Snape was. Like, Snape might be a better potioner than Slughorn is. But Slughorn is, like, still a very, like, competent potioner and, like, very good at what he does. He obviously mm. taught Snape. Granted, like, Snape kind of had this own knack for his ability, so I don't know how much a teacher, like, really aided him. But, like... He's still a very, like, expert potioner and is, like, better at teaching than Snape is. Like, he actually teaches as opposed to, like, yeah. yelling and telling people, you know? I think that... So here's where I was going to go with this section, is that I think that Snape... I, I think he's a better potioner, and I think he had more potential to be a good teacher because I think that a lot of Slughorn's teaching just comes from, like, the book, which, like, they could do on their own which is like what they do with Slughorn is they just read from the book and like everything Harry learns is from the Half-Blood Prince book and like he was getting all of that information as well when Snape was teaching because Snape would just write it on the board of course Snape being a terrible human being kind of took away from his teaching yeah like skills um but I think that like I mean, I I don't know. I want to say that, like, Snape was would have been more advantageous to have as a teacher if he wasn't a terrible person, but... Yeah, I mean, I could see that. Like, definitely Slughorn went the, like, more conventional teacher route. Like, he just yeah. followed from the book and then, like, was more interactive and helpful to the students, like, while they were doing things. Whereas Snape would maybe, like, write his methods on the blackboard and then just like yell at people for doing things wrong you know like if they could have combined the two it would have been like a great potion professor but like i think slughorn is like better than your average teacher even you know what i mean yeah at least in like personal connections and caring for students yeah if not in like actually like learning I don't think they learned more than average with like yeah yeah for sure um I also think that he did a very great job of like recognizing success and like because one of the things that is very important like when you're teaching somebody or like you're a manager of somebody is like recognizing when they do something well not only like pointing out when they do things badly because like humans like react to positive reinforcement kind of thing like if I do something really well like it means a lot to me to have that like pointed out and I think Slughorn does that very well like he's very good at acknowledging when people succeed 
like he's always like adoring and like saying all these like adorations to Harry like maybe Harry didn't deserve it but like he was still like very good at like recognizing success and I think he was also very good at inspiring students and like letting them know like everything that they could be and like giving them all these options and like no look like you could do this you could do this you could do this um and I don't know I think that's like obviously a very like good trait for a teacher especially a teacher like Slughorn who is trying to help them like be all that they can be and succeed in life he like literally did all that he could to help certain students succeed I think like you always have to like add that disclaimer in there like not all of his students were privy to all of these things that he provided but he did help a select few yeah yeah. so I don't know I feel like it's this give and take because I think he overall I think he was a good teacher like I think that we see Neville start to like was Neville in potions? Maybe he didn't make his, no, his OWLs. Um, I don't know. I just feel like potions is a much less stressful place for, like, pretty much all involved, except well, for yeah. maybe the Slytherins, yeah. you know? Like, I think that overall he was a good teacher, and I think that he was an exceptional teacher to a certain few students, you know? Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. I think it just mainly is chalked up to him being more so than a good teacher, just being, like, a good person. Yeah. You know. And I, like, generally do think... Sorry, one last thing to cap this off. Like, obviously, he used his students, like, in his own, like, brand of, like, elitism and his own, like, psyche. But I do think he, like, also did, like, genuinely care about them and, like, and and was, like, so excited when his students did succeed. You know, like, I think it was kind of this, like, interchangeable thing where, like his students succeeding benefited him but he also just like loved his students benefiting Mm, you know like I think he really did get like genuine joy and pride out of his students going on to like be successful yeah I agree all right so now I'm going to talk about Slughorn as a quote-unquote good Slytherin um so before I get into kind of like his portrayal as a Slytherin I just want to talk about like him like his Slytherin traits so we know he was immediately sorted into Slytherin and he does have this kind of he is ambitious but it's a different kind of ambition so like he wasn't ambitious to like go into politics and like he did enjoy the comforts and kind of just like was fine taking a backseat which you wouldn't really say is ambitious um but Dumbledore says about Slughorn in Half-Blood Prince he says Horace likes comfort he also likes the company of the famous, the successful, and the powerful. He enjoys the feeling that he influences these people. He has never wanted to occupy the throne himself. He prefers the backseat. There's more room to spread out. Which I think, like, that does talk about ambition. Like, he wants that influence. And, like, even if he doesn't want to be, like, the face, he wants the influence, which is, like, what he's ambitious for. Yeah. Um, he's also very cunning and sly, like, attaching himself to the important people from the smart, from the start and, like kind of like being smart about who he makes connections with and then self-preservation I think is like maybe a good maybe a bad Slytherin trait depending on how you think about it but like he definitely is like really just cares about like staying alive running from Baltimore even though the quality of his life at that point was like very low um and the not telling anyone about the Horcrux because that would have been terrible to like his reputation even if it was just Dumbledore and Harry that knew yeah Okay, so, yeah, I think he does fit Slytherin very well. Um, And 
I have a lot to say about this. So in the end, he was a good person and he never did anything truly terrible or intentionally malicious. Um, the ebook says Slughorn's genuine remorse for the damage he had done in telling Riddle what he wanted to know is conclusive proof that he is not and never was Death Eater material. A little weak, a little lazy, and certainly snobbish, Slughorn is nevertheless kind-hearted with a fully functional conscience. In his final test, Slughorn revealed himself to be implacably opposed to the dark arts. And I think that's an important point to make is like, we do see him kind of dance with the dark arts a little bit because of his association with Voldemort, but like he was never okay with that. Um, and then also from the ebook, it says he had, he had weaknesses, vanity, snobbery, and a certain lack of judgment when it came to the good looking and talented. And yet he was devoid of cruelty and malice. So I think that is like another important point is like, no matter what he did, that was like, maybe not great. It's like, he wasn't, he was never malicious, right? He never intentionally did these things. And so he's certainly not the kindest person, I think. Like, he was kind to the people that he, like, saw potential in. But, like, the way he treats, like, Ron, for example, it's not kind. Yeah, um, sorry. I just have a quick note. So I think that, like, this ties in, like, with him being a teacher. Like, I don't... Like, this is kind of the point I was trying to make earlier. Like, he was never a bad teacher to people. He just might not have been as good of a teacher to certain people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he was still, like, did the job and, like, taught everybody and wasn't, like, malicious towards anybody, but he also didn't let everybody benefit from him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, I think, like, I, kind is not a word that I would use to describe him. Yeah. Um, and he's definitely elitist, but he never met any harm. And it's definitely to his benefit that a character that is so, like, revered and held up on a pedestal, Lily, had a good relationship with him. I think that shows that, like, he is a good person. But I've always felt that if he were, like, in any other house, he would not be anywhere near, like, the best character or seen as, like, a good example of that house, right? Like, he's a good Slytherin because of how shitty Slytherin is portrayed, and the ending of the ebook really feels like JK is trying to like oversell how good he is because she was like, I think at this point, like she was getting attacked for portraying Slytherin so poorly and like people yeah. were getting sorted into Slytherin and like that's a whole thing. Um, and for me, he's kind of a net neutral. I think I gained a new appreciation like doing this episode, but I always roll my eyes at him a bit and he's kind of annoying, but I don't really hate, I don't hate him. Yeah. Um, it's honestly kind of sad to me that he gets touted as one of the best Slytherins. Not because I think he, like, I think he is one of the best Slytherins portrayed in the series, but I just feel like there was so much potential for really, really great Slytherin characters. Yeah. Um, and to me, Slughorn is not that exciting. Yeah. I think, so <laughs> I was looking up, like, examples of good Slytherins, and on the Wizarding, on wizardingworld.com, they have this list, like, it's called, like, Slytherins that broke the mold. The first one is Regulus, who I think is a badass, great character. This is the t- exact type of Slytherin that I, like, want to know more about. I mean, yeah, he wasn't, he learned. He was a Death Eater. Yeah. But I wish we saw more of him and, like, Slytherins like him. Yeah. Um, I definitely think that, like, he has a better redemption story and, like, a redemption arc than Slughorn does, but, like, I don't think I would categorize him as a better Slytherin, like, on, like, the good to bad spectrum No, than Slughorn. You know, just because, like, he was a Death Eater. Yeah. But, yeah. 
But, like, I do think that he um, would have been, like, a more interesting Slytherin to, like, get background on than Slughorn, you know? And to, like, show a good side of Slytherin. Yeah, I and think. to show, like, Even though a he great redemption. Because, like, I think that maybe, like, we got a little taste of that, like, with Draco. Like, we've kind of discussed before, like, Draco's quote-unquote redemption arc that happens slash maybe doesn't happen like Regulus does have a complete like Slytherin redemption arc yeah and that would have been more interesting to learn about my issue with Draco is we talked about this before it's, it's not complete to me like I no. I don't know I don't buy the redemption yeah um okay so the next one on the list is Snape who's a bully and we're not going to talk about that um Merlin who's not in the series and like it's kind of sad that they included him on this list because he's not even a Harry Potter character like yeah. he's mentioned in the series because like they talk about him being an actual wizard yeah but like we, we also don't he, learn really anything about his morals we just hear that he's like a great wizard like we don't hear yeah. that he like helped the poor helped the sick like was a kind person we just hear that he was a great wizard like Voldemort was a great wizard <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then, so Slughorn, who we were talking about. Andromeda Tonks, who I think another Regulus-type character, as in, like, in- really interesting. Obviously, she was never a Death Eater. This is, like, in addition to Regulus, because I think you, it would be good to have rep- representation of, like, a redemption Slytherin, but, like, her specifically, like, a person that, like came from maybe came from like a bad family came from death eaters but was never one herself and like is just like i think she's probably so like pure and good like she literally raised tonks like she like married a muggle-born coming like maybe that's not like a great act in the grand scheme of things but like coming from the family that she did like that's huge so like I wish we knew more about her and we were touting her as like the best slytherin the good slytherin i get that we have to do it with slughorn because we don't know really anything about Andromeda, but, like, yeah. I think it's just, like, disappointing to me that Slughorn is getting this attention as opposed to someone else. Yeah. I think there was more potential for good Slytherins than Slughorn. I think it's underwhelming to me, and, like, I think it doesn't... I don't know. I think it kind of lets down the, like, potential in Slytherins. Yeah, because I think it's, like, a fun, like, not a fun comparison, but, like, a good comparison to be, like, if he was in any other house, like, he wouldn't be one of the best characters, you know? Yeah. Like, he wouldn't be seen as the best of that house. Right. And then the last point, the last person on this list is Isolt Sayer, which mm-hmm. they included because she's a descendant of Slytherin, but she didn't even go to Hogwarts, yeah. and she wanted to be in Ravenclaw anyway, so... <sighs> This is just my point is that these like this list and like these examples of quote good Slytherins are really disappointing either because you don't have enough information about them or so like they can't be considered representation or they like kind of suck. Yeah. So it makes sense that Slughorn is represented as the best because we know he's like the one of the ones that doesn't actually suck that we know the most about. But like I think it's disappointing. So that's like that's valid. I don't know. I feel like after this episode, I have, like, a very new appreciation for Slughorn and, like, definitely have a more positive view of him. But I will say that I think that if I go back and, like, read or listen to Half-Blood Prince, I will, like, lose that appreciation that I have for him. So. Yeah. I mean, my final conclusion is, like, I appreciate Slughorn. I think he's a really interesting character. I think he's fine. I'm happy that he is a Slytherin and that is like not racist because that's 
kind of just like the bar <laughs> for the representation we see in the series yeah it's the bar you know yeah um I don't think he's the best Slytherin has to offer. Like I was saying, I'd be way more interested to have a lot of information on Regulus or Andromeda. Not that Regulus is, like, a better person than Slughorn, just, like, more interesting as a character. I mean, Slughorn's interesting, too, but I think Andromeda would be, like, probably the best Slytherin has to offer. I think she is probably, like, a really, really good person. Um, So I think Slughorn being the good Slytherin is kind of a letdown. However, I do think... JK is really good at writing perfectly flawed characters. And like, I think Slughorn is an incredibly well-written character. I really appreciate how he is written. Yeah, for sure. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't realize that was the next section. No, you're good. Um, and then the cocktail for Horace Slughorn from 50 Amazing Cocktails inspired by Harry Potter by Archie Thomas is Poisonous Punch. So it's, it says, the pineapple in this cocktail may not be crystallized, but it'll do for Slughorn. Mm-hmm. After one or two of these, he'll regale you with stories of various witches and wizards in positions of power to whom he still sends the occasional owl. And then sing a sad song about a wizard called Odo. Okay, so it's, this cocktail is two parts Midori, two parts Malibu, four parts pineapple juice, and ice. And so you fill a cocktail shaker with ice, add the ingredients, and strain into a glass and serve. So, I don't know, pretty pretty standard. Nice. Um, so for the where are they now section, um, Audrey like kind of already touched on this because we don't have any more information. Um, kind of the best thing that we can do is maybe guess that he stayed on at Hogwarts for at least a little bit, maybe to like help it rebuild you know, like, have some consistency, um, stay ahead of House of Slytherin, and then retire a couple years later, and I assume kind of, like, continue his correspondence with his favorite students and live off of their fame and stuff. Um, another point that I want to just, like, quickly make that I didn't make earlier is I think that it's, like, really telling that his students also do, like, correspond back with him. Like, I really do mm-hmm. think that, like, the students he liked really did kind of genuinely like him back. Like um, Lily. Yeah, like Lily and, like, Gwenog Jones. And, like, he talks about, like, Barnabas Cuff always sending him, like, or not Barnabas Cuff, the guy from Honey Dukes, like, always sending him a Honey Dukes package. And, like, Barnabas Cuff, like, always taking his letters. Like, I do think that that also does, like, say a little bit about who he is, is that I do genuinely think that some of his students did like him back and, like, appreciated yeah. him. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Hi, my name is Larry, and I'm a Slytherin. My name is Justin, and I'm a Slytherin. And together we host the Here's Johnny podcast, where we take a look at horror movies, TV shows. Oh, and games. We also have had amazing guests on the show that are directors, producers. And don't forget writers, Twitch streamers, and other podcasters. Yeah, and you can also check out our show every Monday. Just search Here's Johnny podcast in your podcast app of choice. And you can always follow us on Twitter at Here's Johnny Cast. We are sure you will find an episode you will love. Maybe just like Ollivander's wands, an episode will pick you. So uh, for today's pop quiz question, um, I'm going to ask, what is your favorite potion that we see in the series? Yeah, so I guess I'll have to go with Amartentia. Not really because of what it does, like the love potion. I mean, I think it's, it's used interestingly in the story, 
right? Like, and the theories people have, some of the theories are dumb, but, like, <laughs> Voldemort being born of a love potion, and that's why he, like, can't really, ex- like, experience or, like, feel love um, or one of the reasons. I think that's really interesting. But I, like, just the coolest thing about it, I think, is that it changes its smell d- depending on who um, is some- is smelling it, and I think that's, like, I don't know. I think that's a cool bit of magic, and I've never been super into any of the potions, so I guess it's, like, I guess it's my favorite. I can take that. Um, I don't know. I'm not a big, like, potions kind of gal. Um, I don't know. I really like Polyjuice Potion. I think that's really interesting. I also think it has kind of that aspect that the Amortentia does. Like, I think it said that, like, kind of everybody's potion has, like, a different look, a different taste. Like, yeah, Harry's is, or, like, cool. at least it's implied that that's the case. Because, um, like, Goyle and Crab's potion doesn't look like what we see Harry's Polyjuice potion looking like in Deathly Hallows. So I think that's really interesting. Um, kind of, like, thinking about, like, what your Polyjuice potion would taste like. Um, my guess would be mine would be like very sickly sweet kind of like a cream soda butterscotch route because um, you're sweet because well that and like that's just i i like everything to be as sweet as like humanly possible especially my alcoholic drinks like the sweeter the better yeah um, <laughs> but yeah like i don't know i think that 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 one's really cool i don't know that's like okay. my my thoughts on that <laughs> we didn't put the ending again in here. <laughs> all right so you can find our episodes on any of your favorite podcast platforms apple Podcasts, spotify google all of the above and they are available every other tuesday please rate and review yeah and then you can find us on social media on facebook and instagram we are wizard studies podcast and twitter we're wizard studies um and hopefully we'll have that facebook group up and running by now um like i said it's not at time of recording it's not up but hopefully at time of release the facebook group will be live so hopefully you guys can join like join a discussion um like I said, we're hoping to like put the pop quizzes up before we uh, record the episodes to get you guys' input, and then maybe we can post like some of the articles and sources that we use in that Facebook group as like easier access um, than like posting the links in our episode descriptions, which we're like really bad at anyways. So <laughs> hopefully that'll kind of like provide an outlet for that, and then maybe like if you guys, I know we talk about characters a lot of the times and characters sometimes do have like two sides to them so like maybe we'll like start kind of like discussions on that and like get everybody's opinions on characters kind of like the with the slughorn thing but maybe more in like conversation form as opposed to poll form um yeah also as a as a place where you guys can just talk with other people about potter it doesn't have to be like facilitated by us yeah for sure like if you guys want to start a discussion that would be great that would be super cool for us. Um, and then you can also email us at wizardstudiespodcast at gmail.com with any episode idea, pop quiz questions. Like we've gotten kind of the point of the Facebook group is we've gotten like a couple things of like 
fan mail, quote unquote, where like people either correct stuff that we say or like do their own research and like give us more information. Like we just kind of want to create a platform where like they can do that, but to the benefit of everybody, not just us. Um, Cause like we do know that like some, at least some people have stuff to say and are listening to our podcast. <laughs> so like providing them an outlet to like say those things again, not only to us, but to other people who've either listened to the episode, know what they're talking about, know what they're referring to, or just other Harry Potter fans. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. As always, thank you so much for listening. And remember, just do your best. We'll do the rest. And learn until our brains all rot. <laughs>